and good coffee, everybody. Hey, it's time for Morning Coffee with Larry, and I am glad that you have joined me today. Oh, today is the 10th of December, 2019, and we have birthday celebrations. Uh, my stepson, Andy, he is celebrating a birthday, so a shout out to him. I don't know if he listens to this, but a shout out to him anyway. And also to our dog, Roscoe, uh, a big shout out to him. He is one year old today. He's 80 some pounds, I believe. <laughs> and uh, so he's, uh, we, we're, we're enjoying his birthday. And then as a little Side note of sadness that I uh, uh, have always remembered. It was back in 1980 on this date that my Shetland pony died. When I was five, we had a neighbor named Bob Custer. And he gave me a new little Shetland pony when I was five. And he stayed here at the farm. My grandparents lived here at the time. And I always figured my grandparents, you know, bought, you know, bought him. Uh, but apparently uh, that was not the case. I found out from dad um, the year before he passed away that all of a sudden Bob talked to grandpa and said, uh, I'm going to give Larry a Shetland pony because he needs to have a horse. And... <laughs> And so Grandpa always took care of him, and uh, unfortunately, <coughs> Candy she uh, uh, she got she she always was she was fighting getting foundered uh, from getting into too much grain, and uh, had become sick. And Grandpa checked on her and such. But on this morning, on December tenth in nineteen eighty, uh, Grandpa went out and found that she had died whenever he did his morning chores. So it's kind of a sad, sad, sad remembrance, but we're not going to worry about it. We're going to just enjoy some birthday celebrations with a dog and, and a son today. <clears throat> and if you're having a birthday, happy birthday to you. And if I missed your birthday this past year, you know, a belated birthday. And uh, <laughs> anyway, I was just looking at the weather it is 23 degrees, and it feels like 11. Brr, I'm not liking that. I am not liking that at all. So, uh, gosh, I'm going to have to put on the long johns just to go outside and to do the morning chores. If any of you want to just swing by and do chores for me this morning, that would, that would definitely be appreciated. <laughs> oh, well, today... I wanted to touch on a topic that is is very frequent for counselors uh, to uh, address, and <clears throat> I find it as a topic with a lot of the different veterans I work with. But really, it's it's a common human trait, and there's there's a natural part of it, there's a healthy kind of part of it, then there's also an unhealthy part of it, and I'm talking about anger. <laughs> Now, anger is an emotion, and one of the things that you've heard me talk about in the past is emotions stem from beliefs. They stem from what we tell ourselves, from what we believe, or how we interpret 
various situations. And sometimes if the anger is just very specific then uh, to a specific situation, then it ties into specific beliefs. If we find ourselves angry in a larger context, then what happens is that that anger is more generalized. The beliefs, I mean, the, the beliefs are more generalized. And what we know is the more we generalize beliefs, a lot of times, the more inaccurate they come. Now, also, when you look at anger as an emotion, it's considered a secondary emotion. It is one that stands on the shoulders of, an, of a primary emotion. And the primary emotion for anger is fear. And whenever I mention that, I typically have people say, well, I'm not afraid of anything. And it's like, well, that's fine. You keep telling yourself that. <laughs> but the reality is there's something that you are afraid of. You're either afraid of loss or you're afraid of anticipated loss or you're afraid of something bad taking place. There's some or a threat. There's some sort of a fear. And the anger is this secondary emotion that often is, how would I describe it? It's a little bit like having a shield that has spikes on it. The shield is designed to protect, but when you put the spikes on it, it protects through an aggressive type nature, uh, which is, you know, how anger is. <coughs> Well, in, in looking up and just kind of thinking about anger, I came across this uh, little infographic that is uh, uh, from counselingrecovery.com. I've seen some of their infographics before. I kind of like them. And this one is titled, The Secrets of Unhealthy Anger. And it's not the secrets that help resolve anger but it's kind of the hidden things that we don't necessarily think about, but are the natural consequences. And so whenever we have, you know, repetitive anger in a specific situation or in a general sense, <coughs> when we have unhealthy anger, we start seeing the results of it, the impact of it, and we don't necessarily like it. Uh, we don't like the, the consequences uh, the longer-term consequences. So that's what this is. These secrets of unhealthy anger are kind of those consequences. And there's eight of them on this little infographic. And of course, what I'll do is um, I will post this to the uh, Morning Coffee with Larry Facebook page. So if you want to see it, just go out to the page and it'll be there. You can share it with others or reread it yourself. The first of these is Stuffing Anger Causes Resentments. <clears throat> stuffing anger causes resentments. Whenever I teach this kind of concept in counseling, um, I usually describe it as unforgiveness leads to bitterness. You see, if you're stuffing your anger, <clears throat> it's just kind of like you got one of those junk drawers in your kitchen and you just keep stuffing stuff in there. You keep putting in there. You don't put it in its proper place. The junk drawer is just catches stuff that's on the counter that you don't have time or you don't want to take the time to put away, deal with, and so you shove it in the junk drawer. And the more stuff you shove in there, next thing you know, all of a sudden, you can't open up the drawer anymore, can you? 
because something has wedged itself. Doesn't it sound like I've done this before? <clears throat> and that's kind of what happens when you're stuffing anger, when you are suppressing anger, when you are not properly resolving in a healthy manner what's going on, whether it's something that's really truly just internal or whether it's an interaction with another person. And so the, the longer you hold on to anger, that anger is, is going to permeate. It's going to start changing. And one of the things it changes into is bitterness. And a way that another way of describing bitterness is resentments. We start, rather than being frustrated with an action or frustrated with <clears throat> a situation, we get frustrated and angry at and resentful towards and bitter towards a person. Not the action, but the person. And one of the things that will happen also, and this just kind of popped back into my head, so I'm going to go down rabbit trail for a second, is uh, when, when, I, when I do marriage counseling, there's, there's something I had put together and have been using for, I don't know, since the mid-90s. And it's called the Five Foundations of a Successful Marital Relationship. And it's five key foundations. And the second one of these is uh, respect. And you see, you have to have strong respect in a marital situation. And one of the ways, and really in any functional relationship, you have to have strong respect. Not just the lip service of saying, well, of course I respect you. No, it has to be an internal respect because if you don't, when they do something that you don't like or something that you don't see yourself doing or, or either you don't do, you know, sometimes we don't see ourselves doing it, but we actually are. But if either we don't see ourselves doing it or we're not actually doing it, but if our spouse is, then we, we kind of rationalize in our head, well, I wouldn't do it. I'm above that behavior. And since my spouse is doing it, I'm above my spouse, which then we use to rationalize destructive behavior towards them, resentful behavior towards them. And that fuels anger because the more we act on it and we don't necessarily like doing it in one part, but it, it, it gives energy to that anger and that anger then just starts, the fire starts getting hotter and hotter. So I, my phone just timed out. Uh, so stuffing anger causes resentments. Number two, exploding anger destroys trust and safety. Yeah, if you have exploding anger, you've got to do something about it. You've got to address it. You've got to work on it because it's destructive. It is very destructive. And I've seen so many people where they've got exploding anger. They don't take responsibility for it. They don't apologize, but they rationalize. Well, if they weren't acting that way, I wouldn't have to do this. Well, guess what? It destroys trust and safety. That person doesn't, or those people don't trust you because they don't know when the explosion's going to take place. 
and it destroys a sense of safety. Remember yesterday, if you heard the podcast, I was talking, I, I gave an example with uh, babies in the development of trust in that first stage, according to Erickson's uh, psychosocial development theory. The, the, the initial thing for babies to develop is the sense of trust or mistrust. It's a fork in the road, and it ties into how their parents are caring for them. Either they learn trust or they learn mistrust. Well, this is what happens with explosive anger. You, uh, you know, it's like putting your hand over the steam of a pressure cooker. It, it burns. And so you learned, don't go around the pressure cooker because there's steam. And, and trust and safety goes out the window. And when trust and safety goes out the window, why pay attention to that person except to try to avoid them? Because there's, there's damage that's being done. Number three, sarcastic humor shuts down communication. Yep. If you want an effective way to hurt, damage, destroy, or shut down, communication in any relationship. Start using sarcasm on a regular basis. And, uh, and it'll happen. People may still interact with you, but the intimacy, the, the emotional intimacy is gone because sarcasm, when one person's trying to address something that's more, you know, that's serious or important to them, and their, their response back from the other person is sarcasm, well, why would you talk to them? You know, I've seen some people, they have t-shirts that say, sarcasm is my superpower. Well, then I guess that makes you a villain. Because sarcasm, while it may seem cute, and if it's done in a cute fashion on a very rare basis, may not do any damage. May be a good laugh. But when it becomes a pattern you have just uh, pulled the plug on communication. Or you may have already cut the wire on communication. So sarcasm. If you're doing it, knock it off. Number four, screaming or getting physical provokes retaliation. You know, if, you, uh, if you've got a dog and you're mean to the dog, don't be surprised if the dog bites you. And that's the same thing. When we use screaming <clears throat> or we use, you know, getting physical, don't be surprised if there's retaliation. You see, the, the screaming, that's not talking. Screaming is a, a flood of intense emotional energy that happens to be on, I guess you could say, the carrier wave of words. The words are there, but it's really hard to hear them. Because the emotion that is going on at the time is what's dominant. You follow that? Same way with getting physical. If, you're, if your anger is at a point where you are getting physical... Maybe not physical with that person, but physical with the things around you. If you throw things, <clears throat> if, you, um, uh, if you hit things, well, that's, 
don't be surprised if there's if there's a retaliation because that becomes a different kind of threat. And it may not be a retaliation in kind. The reta- you know, if you got a, a little person who is uh, on the receiving end of screaming or physical actions, they may know that they can't match you. But that may be where they use passive aggression as a form of retaliation. That may be where they leave as a form of retaliation. That may be where they call the police as a form of retaliation. I mean, I'm not, I'm a big guy because I'm kind of fat, but I'm not a big muscular person. And if and if I was at, you know, um, I don't know, someplace and there, there's a guy wanting to pick a fight or something like that, you know what? I'm I'm not going to respond to that in kind. You know, I'm going to involve some sort of security at the establishment where I'm at, or I may call the police because I'm not going to enter into a fight that I'm going to lose. (laughs) I'm going to find a way to negotiate my way out of it, and then I'm going to involve somebody else. I'm going to do a different retaliation. So number four, screaming and physical and getting physical provokes retaliation. Number five, the silent treatment hurts them more than you. The silent treatment hurts them more than you. Silent treatment is, you know, it's a it's a cutoff, it's a withdrawal of the importance of relationship. And by virtue of the title, the silent treatment, that means there's no effective communication taking place. There's ineffective, but there's not effective. Imagine if I started talking to you in a language that you do not know. You know, maybe it's uh, Portuguese. I don't know Portuguese. You may not know Portuguese. But if I'm talking to you in Portuguese, I may be telling you important things, but because you don't know it, you don't have a clue of what I'm saying. You may try guessing because you, if you know Spanish, you may be able to figure out some of the words because there are similarities in the language, but you may be getting something entirely different. There's some commercials on right now. I forget what they're advertising, but the one I'm thinking about is uh, there's, there's people uh, sitting around uh, uh, like a board table in a corporate office and you have, uh, there's, I think it's, there's two guys that are with that company. There's two people that look Asian and they, you know, obviously they're going with the idea that they're, they speak a different language and they're at the meeting. And then there's this guy that's the translator and he, the, the translation does not match what the words are that's actually being said. And it's kind of comical. Well, it's not comical when if you were doing that in real life. Well, the silent treatment is a form of communication, but it's so ineffective, the person on the receiving end is having to guess at what the silent treatment means. They're having to guess at it. So what are they going to guess at if it seems if it's if it's related to anger? Well, they're going to think of it about, you know, in a negative context. And it may or may not be accurate. 
And if it's done on a regular, consistent basis, it turns into something that they just learn to not even try to interpret anymore. They just learn to resist it. They just learn to buffer against it. They build up a callus towards you. They build up a callus towards you. Number six, leaving is not the same as using timeout. Okay, whether it's with a coworker, whether it's with a spouse, whether it's with a child, whoever it is, if the anger is frustration is building and you just walk away, that's not the same as calling a timeout. Let's say you've got a basketball game and the uh, uh, the coaches one of the coaches isn't happy about what's going on and he wants to meet with his team members. What does he do? He calls a timeout. He looks to the official. He makes the symbol for timeout. The, the ref blows the whistle, says timeout, you know, against such and such team because they're only allotted so many timeouts. And, you know, they, they go and they have their, their little meeting. Well, if you're in a relationship, well, what would happen if the coach just called to the players, told them to come without telling the ref it's a timeout? Well, there's probably going to be some sort of penalty that takes place because you're not following the procedure. There's a consequence. Well, when you're when you leave a conversation or leave a situation without letting the other person know, hey, you know what? Things are getting a little bit heated. I'm not wanting this to happen in the in the in our conversation today. I need to hey, take a five I think we need to take a 5 minute timeout. Or we need to table this till tomorrow morning. Sleep on it, rest, and we'll we'll address it tomorrow morning at night. You know, something like that. If we're not doing that, see, that's calling a timeout. That's a communication process. That's giving a reason. Hey, things are getting a little heated. Things are getting too emotional. I don't like the direction that this is going. Uh, I want it to go better. It's a communication with a solution of let's take a timeout, either a short timeout, overnight, something like that. See, if you just walk away, if you just walk away, Well, that's not the same thing because the person doesn't know why you're walking away. It, they may think, oh, you're just trying you know, to get away from this. Oh, you can, you can say those things to me, but when I start saying it back, you just take off. Yeah, so it's not very effective. It's not the same as a timeout. If you want a timeout, you got to call a timeout. Number seven, blaming someone else invites them to do the same. especially if it is blaming using absolutes. Absolutes are those words that don't leave any wiggle room. They push it to the extreme. Always, forever, all, none. Those kinds of words. You always do that. You never do that. Well, when you when we do a blame rather than a thoughtful understanding of the situation, if we point the finger of blame, guess what? The other person's going to do that. You know, if there is a, uh, you know, in a movie, if there is a standoff in a situation between two groups and one pulls a gun, what's the other one going to do? They're going to pull a gun. If you, uh, 
if you got uh, uh, armies that are standing there against each other and nothing's happening yet, if one fires a shot, guess what's going to happen? The other one's going to fire a shot. You know, there's this this idea that, you know, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you worse. Well, when we blame, guess what? We're probably not 100% innocent in a situation. So when we blame, the other person's going to counter with their point of view. So it deteriorates quickly. Finally, number eight. Ignoring stress is the number one reason get, uh, anger gets out of hand. Well, I'm not sure if I agree with this one 100% when it says it's the number one reason. Ignoring stress is the number one reason stress gets out of hand. Let me think on that a second. I would say that stress makes it very hard to effectively cope with anger. Stress is our body and mind's reaction to change. Stress is our body and mind's reaction to change. So if we are um, if we are highly stressed, we don't have the resources to properly or effectively manage and, and process and deal with the anger. We're overwhelmed. We're overwhelmed. And so we need to pursue lifestyles where stress is not out of hand because it will allow us to more effectively deal with a lot of things, not just anger. So I guess you could say, yep, that, that does kind of make sense as I, as I kind of talk through it to myself. When we ignore stress, that kicks up the likelihood of anger getting out of control. It also kicks up a lot of other things, kicks up more opportunity for anxiety, more opportunity for depression, more opportunity for poor decision making, because there's too much on our plate that we're, you know, too many things to juggle. You know, there was that movie uh, Steve Martin did back in the 80s, it was called The Man with Two Brains, uh, kind of a goofy movie, but then again, it was a Steve Martin movie back then, and he gets pulled over for su suspected drunk driving. And, uh, and he's in France. And so they, they have him do this absurd sobriety test where he is having to tap dance, juggle three balls, and sing a song all at the same time. Amazingly, <laughs> Steve Martin's actually able to do it in the movie. I don't know how many takes it took, but that's kind of what stress is. You're, you're tap dancing. You're juggling, and you're singing a song, and now we're going to add another thing on there. Well, guess what? You've got all your resources spent in trying to deal with the stress. So the way you deal with anger or depression or anxiety isn't very well, isn't very good. You, you don't do a good job at it. So the secrets of unhealthy anger. If you don't like how a situation at work with a neighbor, with a child, with an extended family member, with a spouse, whoever it is, if you don't like how it's going and you've got anger, 
well, maybe this, this little infographic gives you some insight into maybe what anger's doing, what your anger's doing that makes it worse. And again, pointing blame at, well, that person's making me angry. No, that person's doing something. And based on your beliefs about it, that's what's producing anger. And here's the consequences when it doesn't get resolved in a healthy way. All right. Hope this was helpful today. And I hope you have a good day. Bundle up if you're having to do something outside. And uh, I'm going to get bundled up and finish off my hot beverage. And we will catch you tomorrow right here for some morning coffee. Have a great one, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.